October 2018 update of our podcast, Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. <laughs> and we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. So, you know, we're going to start off by reviewing two major stories. One is we're going to talk about the first of the four mini episodes of Star Trek Discovery that are known collectively as short treks. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to uh, relay to you some discovery news from last weekend's New York Comic Con featuring an action-packed extended trailer for season two. So let's first talk about last week's premiere of the short trek entitled Runaway. So here's the synopsis. A 17-year-old female alien named May Ani Ika Ali Kapo, or she says Po for short, stows away on the discovery by hiding herself in cargo being transferred to the ship. Using her ability to become invisible, Poe finds herself in the ship's mess hall where she comes across a solitary figure. It's Ensign Sylvia Tilly, who is dousing her insecurities in a highly caffeinated cup of espresso after a dressing down by her overbearing mother via a a holly call. So Poe's presence causes an entire mess in the the mess hall replicators, and they go haywire, resulting in them spewing food all over the mess hall. Although uh, Poe is initially uh, resistant, Telly eventually breaks through to the young woman's distrustful exterior to learn that she is a brilliant inventor um, who wants to protect the the dilithium-rich planet from where she comes because she's fearing that it'll be exploited. In fact, she calls it her twin. Tilly affords Poe the space to realize she should face the issues by faced by her home planet and focus her efforts on finding a solution to those concerns. As Tilly prepares the transporter to beam Poe to, well, we don't really know exactly where she's sending her, um, she learns the young alien is actually the queen of her planet and thus has the authority to affect change in more significant ways than Tilly could imagine. So overall, uh, Gary, I think you know that the reviews for this episode were pretty, for this episode was pretty positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I must admit it took several viewings of it uh, for me to appreciate it for what it is, and that is a character study of Tilly and a setup for a possible intervention of Poe in Starfleet Matters during season two. Yeah, so what was your initial issue with the episode, though? Well, I wouldn't say it was a single issue. Um, You see, any fictional story will operate within a set of conventions or rules which establishes the reality for that world. So when I first saw the episode, I was put off by breaches of protocol one would assume would would exist on a starship. So, you know, here are some of my concerns. So why didn't ship sensors detect the presence of this alien? When the replicators went awry... Why wasn't someone from engineering engineering automatically alerted to investigate? 
How can a tricorder analyze the vitals of a species it has not previously encountered? Why would the tricorder report pose age presumably in Earth years? Why didn't Tilly report the alien to one of her superiors who, as the ensign pointed out, should probably have been quarantined since she was a, a species unfamiliar to them? How are universal translators able to translate any dialect it encounters without a basis to make that translation? And as previously stated, to where is Tilly transporting Poe? And how can Tilly trans access the transporter, presumably without anyone being alerted of its use? That's a lot of issues. So why did you even want to watch it again? <laughs> well, the reason why is, as you know, I am a big fan of the yeah. show. Yeah. And I've liked the character of Tilly since the moment she was introduced. So I was willing to give it another chance. Okay. Well, I guess you're glad you did. Um, it, I think that you know, I look at this the way I look at the original series, where they have some extremely implausible circumstances kind of put, and you just have to buy into the the circumstances. Or if you start putting fingers in the, po the all the plot holes, you'll end up you know just stuck with a with still holes, all your fingers stuck in, and then holes still left to be filled. Um, this case, I, you know, this one was, wasn't as bad. And to be honest with you, I think it's better than a number of the, the episodes from other shows. I, I have to admit, though, that out of the four, this is the one I was looking forward to the least. I mean, not that I don't like Tilly. I think she's a great character. I just wasn't really interested in the premise for this one. I'm more interested in next week's Calypso and the one dealing with Saru because those are things that I think will give me new information about Starfleet and about the world, the larger world outside of the the, the ship Discovery mm -hmm. that um, I, I'm interested, I'm intrigued in learning about. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's summarize some of the things that we did learn about Tilly in this episode. Okay. Well, Tilly uses her experiences with feelings of alienation to be able to empathize with Poe, who feels estranged from her own people. That, so that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, she avoids, to, to avoid putting Poe through a series of what were sure to be off-putting protocols to return to her home world, Tilly kind of resourcefully finds a way to do it without getting anywhere else involved. But we know that the real thing is their constraint in regards to the cast members they can use. Right. And so that's so they're doing it with a small group of people and putting it together. Um, Tilly appears fully aware of the rules of Starfleet, which she should be. She's in com command she's in captain's training or command training mm -hmm. right now. Um, but like Kirk in the original series, she doesn't always follow the restrictions to if they get in her way. Mm -hmm. And she usually figures out a better way, better course, more or less, that would hap that would be matter, you know, deal with the matter at hand. That's right. So, um, so definitely she proves herself to be worthy of her aspirations yeah. to move into the command race. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think she's going to be a great, I think the character has the potential to be a great commander. Oh, sure. Definitely. So, 
Um, as you already stated, I know you're looking forward to the next short trick entitled Calypso. Yeah. Uh, this mini episode written by Pulitzer Prize winning author Michael Chabon introduces us to a new character called Kraft. Yeah. This character finds himself on an, an, on an abandoned ship and must trust a computer for his survival. That sounds like, I know it sounds a little bit like uh, uh, 2001. It also sounds like silent running to a certain extent. There's a, there's a couple of other 60s and 70s science fiction show uh, movies that it kind of that sounds similar to. Yeah. So um but you know I know you mentioned 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. Let's hope that this character enjoys a better fate. So as a yeah. teaser <laughs> They only show you a brief clip of Aldous Hodge, and he's the actor who's playing playing Kraft. Right. Well, in this scene, he awakens in sick bay, what looks like to be sick bay, wearing little more than something to cover his bottom. Now, whoever created this teaser literally put the emphasis on the tease because that brother's body was fine. It was sculpted. It was fine, fine, fine. Yeah, he's a good-looking man, so what's your point? <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Yes, I know uh, what you're saying. And, and I'm sure he's a good actor, too. I'm sure I'm sure he's an excellent actor. <laughs> I'm sure that was not what you were focused on when you were looking at the trailer, <laughs> but I can guarantee you he's an f- excellent actor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, by the way, the Calypso short trek will drop on Thursday, November 8th. Um, probably around the same time, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is the way that Runaway was dropped. Yeah, in, so, the, in the U.S. at least. In the U.S., right. Mm-hmm. So um, let's, I guess let's turn our attention to um, news that came out of New York Comic Con and the new trailer that was released for season two, so, which, which was really hot. Yeah, I really enjoyed this trailer. I have watched it multiple times, mm-hmm. uh, really tried to dissect it. I mean, in the first trailer that they released, uh, when they first started, they first came back mm-hmm. and they started to record some of the episodes, you, during those, uh, during that first trailer you saw that you know they were really trying to establish pike mm-hmm. you know as somebody who's taking over right. the discovery because of some you know issue that they really didn't explain in depth at that time right. and so and they also wanted to show you that they were going to imbue uh this season with more com- comedic elements right. so they right. showed some of that and i think that first trailer was successful on those levels it basically gave you the immediate premise of the season. It, it set up Pike, and as you said, it also showed, hey, we're going to be lighter in tone this time around. Right. Which was good. Uh, the second trailer, however, is a completely different set of circumstances because not only does it have more action involved, it also, and I think because of where they are, they, they said during the panel that they were wrapping up the finale at this point. Right. So I think this, the, the, this second trailer actually gives you a better sense of the full arc of the season. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it tells you what the, the larger story of the season is going to be in regards to the clips because I think there's more clips from other than the first couple of episodes. Right. And so we want to remind our listeners the uh, what we um, 
attempted to get across to you uh, with last season, and that is this is a these are serialized episodes, right? So we really have to be careful not to get off too much on you know what we. Uh, what we don't like or something that seems inconsistent, you know, would just seem an episode. These are not standalone episodes. They're going to build on each other. Right, because in many cases what they're doing is it's a novel for television in a lot of ways. I mean, that's they don't come out and say that, but the way they write it, it is like a novel. And so if you're going to say, well, I don't like Chapter 3, I'm going to stop reading the book, you may miss like 12 other chapters that provide you with some really exciting and interesting storyline just because you didn't like a certain aspect in that chapter three. That's correct. So let's first break down that trailer. Okay. So it opens with a scene showing an away team um, on a dark and desolate planet, and they seem to be in peril, as suggested by this Zoom shot uh, with irregular camera angles. And then next we see Discovery appearing to also be in danger as crew as the crew are hurriedly moving about and an injured Saru leans against Burnham to get through the corridors. I, I think that's not a planet. I think it's an asteroid field that they find themselves in. Okay. Yeah. Th- throughout these scenes, we hear uh, Pike state Starfleet is a promise. I give my life for you, you give your life for me, and nobody gets left behind. Which I think is an interesting thing for him to say, particularly what we know from his character from the original series, mm. in that you, you know that he's a he's pitted, he's destined to be injured in an accident that happens, in a, a training accident, where he's going to be exposed to a massive amount of radiation. And therefore, he's going to lose the ability to speak and move, and he's going to be physically um, disfigured. And that's going to be because he continues to go in to get these injured trainees out of this radiated area. And by constantly going back in, he exposes himself to greater danger each time. But he does it because in this line, I think it says clearly... I give my life for you, you give your life for me. I think he lives mm. that I think they I think they mm. make that connection right. with who he becomes. Right. You know, that sacrifice he makes yeah. now some like 11 years from now. But um but I think I think that's important. I think that's important. Well, I don't even think is um I, I think that's an important point, you know, that they um bring out that characteristic of him. Mm. But I think he first learns that uh, from the issues he was having after he had went to Talos Four. Talos Four, where uh, some of his uh, crew members were killed and others were severely injured. And he felt, I should have been able to do more. I well, should have been he able actually to has, do. there's that away, away mission that he does before they go to Talos Four. But I understand what you're talking about, where his 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 crew members, people who he had in command, he put them in danger and they died. But what I'm saying is I think he understands in a different way what the sacrifice means. And I and I and I think that's a great line for him to have. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think that background mm-hmm. you know really leads up to this. Yes. Why yes. that's his now his mantra. Right. right. That uh, we're not gonna leave anybody behind. Right. right. Okay, so then the next scene shows that there's these seven signals, mysterious 
signals of light that have appeared throughout the galaxy. Right. Discovery must determine the source and intent of those signals. The next scene shows a worried Amanda who, as you know, is the mother of Spock and wife of Sarek. And she's embracing Burnham, who is her adopted daughter. Amanda tells her Spock had a vision of seeing a red angel. Burnham tells Amanda she has also seen this angel, but gained comfort from it. She said she felt everything is going to be all right. And then later on, there's a scene where Saru tells Burnham, I would believe in something like that, something out there that intervenes before all is lost. So then, and here's one of my favorite parts of this uh, trailer. You see shots of the former mirror empress, Giorgio, who is still taking on the identity of Captain Giorgio. So, in fact, there aren't a lot of people who know. There's only a few people who actually know uh, her true identity. Right. And so, however, uh, we see that she's now a member of Section 31, which is this ultra-secret intelligence agency that does not um, operate under the constraints of Starfleet ideals. Now, unaware of her true identity, Pike innocently asks her, do you like being back in the saddle? And Giorgio responds, it's an invigorating ride. Then the camera pulls back so we can see her strut her stuff. Yeah, she looks pretty good in that leather outfit. Gersha Phillips, the costume designer for the show, has put out yet another fantastic outfit that fits her well and shows off all of her all of her attributes quite well. And oh, in fact yeah. that that scene when we first see her, we don't even know it's her because there is an alien face that we see under the hood. Almost insect like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as she pulls back the hood, the 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 face the the hologram of the face dissolves and that's when we see is Giorgio. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good shot. It is. Yeah. So another shot of the crew members in peril on, on that asteroid field, presumably the same site that we saw earlier that opened up this trailer. Again, Pike reiterates, if there is anyone left on the planet, I am not leaving them there to die. Then Saru warns, we would be we could be walking in a trap. Next are several shots of the Klingons, including Laurel with long hair. Um, and then we see the new cast member, Rebecca Romaine, who plays Pike's, Emperor, Pike's Empire First em, Enterprise first officer known only as number one. Hopefully we'll find out her name. Her name, right. She has a name, right. Um, she's sitting with Pike and she cautions him. Something about this isn't adding up. Be careful, Captain. So she's giving her a, him a sense that she's not completely comfortable with the way things are going down. So that's interesting. Right. So then there's this other scene uh, that we see of Pike, you know, asking, and we don't know who he's asking this to yet. Are you ready to execute this insane plan of yours? But then... Then we see Stamets with a device that he points at Tilly and he tells her, this may hurt a bit. And then he activated and then something appears to come out of her that he swings around and is, is being held in the beam of the device around him. 
So then there's this juxtaposition of scenes of destruction and other ones of awe, as well as Burnham with a sickly Saru telling him, you are my family. One of those scenes, I think, is also showing us the Hiawatha, the other starship that is in the back. It's in the distance, mm-hmm. but the one that we're going to find Reno, the, the engineer on. Right. So Who's going to be the... I think she's going to come onto the ship right. and, and temporarily be part of the crew. I guess. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. When we'll we find watch. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's there are even more action scenes and a quick shot to Burnham clasping what appears to be some male's large hand, and I think it could be Spock's because mm-hmm. it looks like there's a blue. It's a blue sleeve, so it could be Spock's. Right. Right. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see who that is. Yes. Then we hear Spock's voice in a shot of two um, uh, t- uh, medical mm. men trans him on a gurney and he states as a child I had the same vision again and again now I understand its meaning and where it must lead we then see a bearded Spock being awakened by some type of injection to his neck while Burnham whispers his name Spock so besides the trailer we also learned some interesting stuff about Discovery from executive producer Alex Kirksman and, and the cast. And, and so I'll just go through a few of these. Um, season two of Star Trek Discovery will de- debut Thursday, January 17th. So it's actually going to be the week after the last um, short, uh, the short trek. So we get to go right into that, which I think is solid. I think that's going to be... And it's, so that's going to be really good. I'm looking forward to that. And as we said before, the Klingons now have hair because of the design staff is going with the convention that Klingons at this period of time shave their hair during wartime and let it grow out during times of relative peace. Now, we know that this is a convention that they're coming up with to try to make the Klingons of the Discovery look more like the Klingons we're accustomed to. Right. But we also know that within the next several years, and in fact, in the series, as it continues, we're probably going to see them lose their ridges, their, and all some the, of their ridges. Some of their ridges and look more, more humanoid-like. Yeah, they said they're not going to go completely back to what we saw in the original series, the way the Klingons looked more like humans, uh, because uh, they, they they tried to explain it that, look, we didn't have the technology they to didn't. do that type and they didn't of have makeup. The budget. Yeah, the budget to do those kind of prosthetics, right. prosthetics and also the makeup. Right. And so now we can do it. So they won't totally go back to them looking more human, but they will, you know, inch their way there a little bit, yeah, you know. Yeah. Okay. So according to uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, who plays Burnham, she and Spock have a very close relationship. And as the actors, they've found they quickly f- created a connection between themselves. In fact, one again, one of the things that was very evident in this panel that we've seen in subsequent panels is the camaraderie of these this cast. Oh, the, definitely. That, that there is a bond, that they really enjoy being around each other, and that they ha- have obviously have a very good time 
doing this show. And they and they continue as they did in the at the New York Comic Con to point to Sonequa Martin Green as the one that they come together around. Yeah, they do. You know, yeah. they look to her. Which is which I do say is different than the way things sounded last year when um they would go and do panels and whatnot. In fact, in many cases, it wasn't the full cast. In most cases, it was only a handful of actors, and there was usually, it was usually Sonequa, maybe Michelle Yao, but almost always Jason Isaacs. Mm-hmm. And there, there wasn't a lot of for the other cast members to do um, when they were promoting these shows. So anyway, that's I think that's a that's an improvement. Oh, definitely. So then there was the worst kept secret, of course, that Dr. Hugh Colbert, played by Wilson Cruz, will return as a regular cast member in in an expanded role. Which we don't know at this point how he comes back. They're still very tight-lipped about that. But we suspect it may have something to do with that scene where um, Stamets aims this device at Tilly and pulls something off out of her. Because remember last year, right. uh, the executive producer, what was his name? Um, Aaron Harbert. A- Aaron Harbert did say um, when he was asked about whether Wilson Cruz was going to come back, he said, remember the spore that landed on Tilly's shoulder? You know, just keep that in mind. He did say that. He did say that. And he's also very clearly tried to dissuade people's concerns that he had created in many in cases like other shows right. where they had created a gay character just to kill them off. Right, right. right? So that so. you couldn't have a happy, you know, gay character right, right. Uh, on the show. So. so, so, and we don't know when he does come back, is right. he going to be really the same character or is he going to have an altered personality? So right. that will be interesting to see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That's for doggone short. But he is there. Um, we also had Rebecca Romaine wear a brunette wig in her role as number one in keeping with the character's appearance when we saw her originally played by Majel Barrett in the pilot, the original pilot for the original series. Um, but the character looks, uh, has been softened a bit in regards to her hairstyle. I mean, she does have that kind of 60s long brunette mm. hairstyle. It's very it's very coiffed. Um, the makeup is also in line with what we saw. Major Barry were up. well and softer. It's it is, definitely softer. Yeah. Well, but but Rebecca Remain is okay. Let's just be honest. She's a much more physically attractive woman, and so I think that that may also have something to do with how we're interpreting it. Um, and then the costume. The costumes, although they've they've retained the color structure of. The original series mm. colors, they have this new funky vibe that I really like. I think well, it's more vibrant than what they had. It is more vibrant. They are they are more saturated colors. The fabric is is I think is more interesting. Although uh, Anson Mount said that you know it's not very forgiving. Not very forgiving. <laughs> so it's gonna show all your bulges right, and right, everything right. like that. So I guess he was I guess he was really watching what he was eating. When right. He was working out. But but I would like you to go back and I want you to compare. Major Barrett's number one to oh, there's no comparison. Uh, well, I'm just saying at least with the, even with the hairstyle because it is longer and it's and it's and it actually moves. You know, people forget that Rebecca Romaine only a couple of year, a few years ago was running around on stage sets playing um, Mystique, 
with very little of a costume on. So, I mean, that's a she's a tall, stately, attractive woman. Well, nobody forgets that. I I know, I know. <laughs> but I mean, what I'm saying is that you could put her in a a burlap sack and she still looked better uh-huh. than most most people. So I'm just saying that's. But she's she looks very good. So another thing we wanted to mention is that the adult excuse me the adult Spock seems to be featured in the latter part of the season's episodes. So yeah, you know, in this arc that we're gonna see, um, it looks like there's gonna be this search for Spock, and uh, and then later huh, we finally isn't that interesting. <laughs> and then later we we're going to find him. Yeah. Well, you got to find him if you go looking for him. And it's going to be and luckily or at least I'm looking forward to the fact that it's going to be more than oh we see Spock and he doesn't really see or do anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, so the way they presented it is that they do get a chance to work with him. Yes. And so uh, we're looking to forward to see that. And he also, the other thing that um, Ethan Peck, yeah. who's playing Spock, said uh, that he had to find um, his characterization of Spock as somebody who was becoming the Spock um, that you, the, well, it's the Spock that is in between the Spock you saw at the pilot of the original episode and the Spock that we you, know from the, the series. That you know from the series. Yeah. So, yeah. so he had to find that middle ground. So, where is that Spock, and what would he be like? Yeah. So, Gary, what are you looking forward to for season two? Well, I am intrigued about this whole thing about Spock. I I do think that I love the fact that Giorgio is connected to. Section thirty one. I want to know more about them. I've all, for the most part, I think in the other series they've done good service utilizing that as a as a story engine, you know, as a drama engine. Uh, I, you know, it was it originated in Deep Space Nine, so it can't. It's got to be a great idea. <laughs> and and I thought that they utilized them well in um, Enterprise when they did those episodes there. So I'm intrigued to see what happens here. With, with, with I'm also interested in the craft and how he plays into the you know the character we're going to be introduced to in Calypso. How does he play into this season? Oh yeah, and we also found out Sonequa Martin Green. Oh yes, yes let yes. us know that her husband yes. is going to play a, a fine character. husband, right? A good looking right, husband. Right, right. It's going to be in the show, yes. so we don't, and we know, don't know if it's going to be a regular or just you know for, uh, he's going to do a cameo. Is he going to be an alien? You know, is he? There was no details no given details. other than the fact that he is going to play a role in the show, right? And that is the extent to it that we know at this point. So, for me, I'm definitely intrigued about the mystery revolving around the Red Angel Mm -hmm. and why it is a vision that's shared by both Spock and Burnham. I am also interested in the theme of spirituality versus science that will be explored this season. It is a subject that, thus far, has only been dealt with in a serious way in the in the Star Trek universe with Deep Space Nine. Right. So, being a person of faith myself, I'm looking forward to seeing how the show will deal with it next season. Yeah, I think that that provides them with a massive opportunity to explore a whole lot of subjects that they really have never re- addressed. There's been, oddly enough, in with the exception of Deep Space Nine, there's been a strict adherence to a secular concept of the world um, 
even uh, bread and circuses the, during the original series, although they intimate that 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 it's Christianity that that right. they see in that um, episode with a modern version of the Roman Empire, we don't really get a sense of it. In fact, it takes Uhura to identify it for them. It's like Kirk, you know Spock, McCoy, Kirk just can't figure out why why these people keep talking about the um, sun. sun. Because right. they, 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 there were no sun worshippers in the Roman Empire. Right, right. Well, how did this happen here? And, right. and they never make the connection that it's the son of God. Although right. they don't say that phrase, they keep talking about the sun. Yeah, throughout the other series, uh, you know... Next well, Generation. With, well, yeah, with the exception of Deep Space Nine yeah. again. Uh, they Every once in a while, they'll make a reference to it. Like there was that... Remember that uh, episode in Voyager mm-hmm. where... You know, they were they uh, they felt like people go to the afterlife, and then they found no, their bodies were in this right, room. Right, right. And then you know they say at the end, oh, there were some sort of energy readings. Right. So now they don't know right. if there was you know an afterlife. Mm-hmm. You know they left that question open. Yeah, in many cases, when Star Trek has dealt with religion. Religion has been used as an oppressive system right. to um, cull the masses and control them, or it's been um, just some ruse right. that somebody's perpetrated um, on, for a regular basis. It's been technology being perceived as something spiritual or supernatural right. that has been interpreted by people who don't really look beyond the the, the structure, the original f- uh, surface. And those who do have a face system in some way like for example um the klingon why can't i think of his name kalis well the kalis and and takuvma right 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 even those people um you know later on sometimes their faith is tested and um so so i am looking forward to see how they treat it in this in, in this season so there's other star trek news oh yeah nichelle nichols who we know as Uhura from the original series, has announced a crowdfunding campaign to raise $350,000 in startup funds for what she calls her legacy film project. The project is entitled Noah's Room. It's a, the film is about a black family who is raised as a white boy after a tragic death of their own son. And for more information, you should go to the site um, at Indigo. Indiegogo.com. The campaign ends on November 2nd. So if you're inclined to help out Nichelle, you know she's had some challenges over the last several months, um, and this is going to be her final project she's going to do film-wise. You you know, if you got some extra dollars, help help a sister out. Right, exactly, exactly. So um, until that time... Uh, you can email the show at Star Trek AOD at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Star Trek AOD and on Facebook at, at backslash Star Trek AOD. You can also visit our website, which is uh, Star Trek AOD.net, where we offer additional articles on Star Trek canon and interesting sidebar topics about the show. So until then, live long and prosper. Prosper.